0: Slice audio. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Doc Talk with Monument Health. My name is Mark Houston, and joining me today is Dr. Kyle Lemley, who is a pediatric critical care specialist and pediatrician here at Monument Health at the Rapid City Hospital. Welcome to the podcast, Doctor. Glad to have you here. Appreciate it. Uh, you Are you local? you from here, Doctor? Or I am not from here. Okay. Where uh, did your journey start then to get out here? <laughs> I'm originally from
1: Texas and Arkansas. Oh, right. I grew up in Texas, uh, high school and college in Arkansas, Uh, my wife and i met in medical school in the caribbean and then uh, we finished up in brooklyn new york residency in toledo ohio fellowship in kansas city at children's mercy Um, and then ran a couple of few years here and there most recently from wichita kansas Um, and moved up here just uh, this past August. Um, Oh, so you're brand new to the area
0: then. Have you ever spent any time out here before you you came out here? We came
1: out on vacation two or three years ago uh, to bring our kids on a little camping trip and (laughs) went to Mount Rushmore to the Badlands and kind of did a little whirlwind tour, tour of the area. And they actually ended up having an early snow, and so it kind of... Took away some of the stuff we were going to do, but had a little snow every morning, so it was great.
0: I'm always fascinated coming from a you know a place like Texas, uh, those southern states, always warm, and you come up here and you kind of run into your first snow, and then you think, ah, I still like it here, still want to still, still want to live out here. We loved to snow ski, so oh, the awesome. only thing that we were
1: upset about was we weren't anticipating it, so we <laughs> didn't have anything. Like all of our warm weather gear and stuff with us the radar or the weather wasn't predicting any of that. So and obviously we left all that at home.
0: You get used to that out here. You'll think you'll be a, it'll be a you know, we can have it in, in mid September. We can have snow out here in yeah. a lot of instances. But uh it's it's uh it's I'm glad you're here, obviously. Um I, I think you're in a specialty that uh You know, so many parents are are glad that you're here as well. And uh, I know you're part of the uh, we were talking a little earlier here before the podcast started about uh, the ACP. Right. uh, Which is. So we have an advanced care pediatric unit
1: um, that um, reopened about a year and a half ago. Uh, January of 22 um, is when it reopened and it functions as a pediatric ICU. Um, there's pediatric ICU physicians that are running it, um, and we're working on getting the name uh, updated with all the regulatory bodies and everything. So we still call it an advanced care pediatric unit, um, but it functions as a pediatric
0: ICU. So that's the only difference, is the regulatory stuff that you're right. talking about. Okay. Right. Um, well, what, what led you into to, to, to kids, though, Doctor? Why, why did you want to make that part of your profession?
1: I helped resuscitate a 27-weeker when I was in um, uh, medical school so a baby that was born at 27 weeks gestation. I got to help resuscitate and really um, decided to switch over from uh, doing a surgery residency was what I went to medical school to do was general surgery and switched over to pediatrics Um, and then I was down between the neonatal ICU in the pediatric ICU, and in residency, a mentor said, you have to enjoy reading about the bread and butter, and I hate reading about nutrition, which is what you have to read about for neonatal ICU, Versus uh, PICU, you read about diabetic ketoacidosis, sepsis, status asthmaticus, status epilepticus, all of these fun diagnoses that I enjoy taking care of. So,
0: that's well, yeah, that's that's an amazing. I mean, that's I guess that's a great way to get into it, obviously, uh, when you can see the change that you made for something like that, right? Um, Well, with this podcast, Doctor, we're going to talk about um, uh, a condition that is called pediatric diabetic ketoacidosis. But before we get into that, I think this is a a condition that affects children that have diabetes, right? Um, So for just kind of a general overview of diabetes, um, can you just kind of give a a 30,000-foot view of what that is uh, when it comes to children? Sure. Um, So... Kids and adults both
1: have well, diabetes, sure. and so we differentiate diabetes between type one diabetes uh, mellitus versus type two diabetes mellitus. Type two is what you usually get from an older age onset, whereas type one is the is what you usually get in kids and. Uh, teenagers and uh, young adults and stuff.
0: So those numbers don't mean, they're not necessarily severity of diabetes. No, okay. different cause. Of okay, it. got it. Mm-hmm. So with
1: type 1 uh, diabetes mellitus, um, what happens is your pancreas, one of the organs in your stomach um, that is responsible for producing the insulin or what your body uses to get glucose into the cells and, and use the glucose um, the way that we were designed to. Um, your pancreas just doesn't continue to make it, so your pancreas stops making the insulin, and so then your body depends on exogenous insulin or insulin that you give yourself in shots um, for the rest of your life in order to use glucose correctly.
0: Is there? Are you seeing a rise of diabetes too? Is it becoming more prevalent? Prevalent in children?
1: I don't think there's been a significant increase in type one diabetes, but we are starting to see type 2 diabetes um, come up in kids, which historically we didn't see that very much at all.
0: Okay. Uh, well, let's talk about specifically about this condition. Uh, again, it's pediatric diabetic uh, ketoacidosis. Uh, and it's considered, this is a this is a, a medical emergency, really, in kids that have this condition, right? Um, so let's say you have a parent that has a child that has the type 1. What would they specifically look for? Uh, with this popping up? I mean, if, you know, you're just sitting there with your child and these symptoms arise, what, what are you specifically looking for to that says, that, well, we got to go to the doctor right now? So what
1: ends up leading people to go to the doctor is the vomiting and abdominal pain. Um, and it kind of depends, the rest of the presentation depends on, is this a new onset diabetes, the first time that the kid has had an issue with diabetes, or is this recurrent, the kid is known to have diabetes and they um, ended up getting sick or just not taking their insulin or whatever the cause was for them to go into diabetic ketoacidosis again. So if it's a first-time presentation, um, the, the families, once they get to the ER, because of the vomiting and ab- abdominal pain, we'll start asking them questions of, were they drinking more, were they had been, have they been peeing more, Because typically with new onset diabetes, looking back over the last two to four weeks or even the last couple of months, the kids have been drinking more, especially water, because they've been feeling dehydrated. Um, They're peeing a lot more. Sometimes kids that are potty trained, even at night, will start wetting the bed again because they just are drinking so much they can't control themselves at night. Um, And then they'll have weight loss, too, um, that kind of adds it all together for the family to bring them into the ER. Um, and that's more for the uh, first-time new onset diabetes. Um, the kids that have diabetes know they have diabetes. Typically, just vomiting and abdominal pain is kind of what leads them to to the ER for um, for management.
0: And that's what you recommend. I mean, if you see if if your children is experien if your child is experiencing this, if they have diabetes, <clears throat> and uh, and you start to see these signs. Um, then it's it's immediately to the ER, right? You shouldn't hope that it gets better the next day. Right typically.
1: so um, all of the diabetics they'll um, in adi- in addition to their normal insulin regimen, all of the di- diabetics will have a sick regimen um, that as you know if they're sick or with a cold or anything going on, their body's going to need to use more glucose um, to keep up with their metabolic demands of being sick. Or if they're running around more, just being more active, those kinds of things, sometimes they need more insulin. Um, And so the families will be doing their sick regimen and trying to kind of keep it under control. But I always tell families that if your kid has diabetes and they're vomiting, that's never just the stomach flu. And I put the stomach flu in quotes, but that's never just the stomach flu um it's you need to make sure that they're not going into dka and that they don't need to be seen uh, in the er
0: well can you okay and maybe we i I jumped into this a little early but i don't think we ever really explained what dka is what is actually happening to that person with diabetes right so what is what is happening outside of just the diabetes that these children have so um diabetic ketoacidosis it's
1: it's all actually in the name so there's Three parts to the diagnosis. Um, Obviously, you have to have diabetes, so Mm -hmm. you have to have a high blood sugar. Um, You have to be acidotic. And so I don't know how much you remember about chemistry in high school, but everything has a certain pH that Mm -hmm. it likes to stay within. Um, if it gets too acidotic, that's bad. If it gets too alkalotic uh, or too high of a pH, that's also bad. And our body was designed the same way. So our body is designed to function with a pH of around 7.2 to around 7.5. And so outside of that, our body, especially our heart, isn't always happy. So the, the second part of having DKA is your acidotic. And then the third part is your body produces ketones. So the way that that happens is when your body's no longer producing insulin or you're not getting the insulin shots that you're supposed to be, your body can't get the glucose uh, into the cells. Glucose is what our body prefers to use for energy. It's what it prefers to break down to run all of our cells, all of our activity, everything like that. So when your body doesn't have the glucose, then your body starts breaking down fat and muscle and and those things to produce alternative energy
0: and some people would think that's a good thing if it's breaking down the fat right right but it
1: turns out that it's not. We were designed to run off of glucose and not fat. So the more we pr- we break down fat, the more we break down muscle, the more we produce these ketones, which is kind of a byproduct of uh, breaking those down, and that helps lead to the worsening acidosis and everything from that standpoint.
0: Oh, okay. Um, well, can you explain? Let's talk, let's go back to 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 insulin a little bit and insulin therapy in treating kids with DKA. Um, and how it helps normalize blood sugar levels and acidosis. Um, um, can you explain that role of it a little bit, just how the insulin therapy works? Sure. So uh, most regimens, the kids will be on a long-acting
1: uh, insulin shot. So they'll get a long-acting insulin shot every night, uh, sometimes at dinner or sometimes right before bed. And then every meal, they'll um, give themselves a shot for what their blood sugar is before the meal. And then they'll also account for how many carbs that they take with each meal. And they count them in grams. And then they usually give one unit for every 10 grams of carbs or 12 grams of carbs. Everyone has their own specific Mm -hmm. ratio um, that the endocrinologist or diabetes doctor has kind of helped fine-tune to make sure that they stay in really good control. Um, so they're getting that long acting shot and then they're getting the short acting shots with each meal and a lot of times with each snack as well. And those short acting shots are what they're going to use if they're sick and starting to produce some ketones, but not quite to diabetic ketoacidosis. They can give themselves more of that short acting insulin to kind of help try to prevent, uh, from going into DKA.
0: So if you, if you have DKA, if you go into it, then that, that's the way to get out of it. That's what you have to do. To get out of DKA, we actually have to put you on an insulin infusion. So
1: we bring you in uh, to the uh, ACP here, ICU, and we get you started on an insulin infusion. So um, a a continuous infusion of uh, really super fast-acting insulin. So as soon as we start it, it's acting, and as soon as we shut that one off, it goes away. Um, And then we also have you on IV fluids. Um, We usually have you on uh, two different bags of IV fluids. So we can adjust how much sugar we're giving you as you're, as you're on insulin. Your sugar is obviously going to be coming down, and so we increase the amount of sugar we're giving you just to make sure that your body has enough glucose um, to to be able to respond to the insulin. Because the main problem uh, when you have uh, diabetic ketoacidosis is you don't have insulin. Mm-hmm. So we have to give the insulin to get your acidosis fixed. And then uh, sometimes we then we usually have to uh, bring in uh, varying amounts of glucose for your body to use with that insulin.
0: So there must be or, or maybe not. are there are there long-term complications by going into DKA? I mean do you is, is, it's obviously a super concerning thing to worry about, but is this does this change being a diabetic down the line? Um, the more you go into DKA, it just
1: shows that you are likely poorly controlled. And so then the worst um, control over your diabetes that you have, that increases your risk of uh, long-term complications. And a lot of those fall into what you see in the adult world. They talk about diabetic feet, where you lose your feeling and you start having ulcers and stuff. We don't typically see that in kids. You can get uh, kidney problems and stuff with it the biggest and the scariest things about DKA is actually acute when they first present and when they're in the ICU. So the big things that we worry about is brain swelling. So actually, uh, almost 100% of kids have some degree of brain swelling when they present with DKA. Um, And so... Most of the time, it's not what we say clinically relevant. The kid isn't really affected by it. It's The only way that we would know it is if we did head imaging when they got admitted, and then six weeks later when everything was normal, we re imaged their head. Retrospectively, we could look back and say they had a little bit of swelling, but it's not enough to cause any problems in that acute phase. However, um, if their blood sugar drops too fast or if they wait too long to come in, that brain swelling can get bad. Um, and you can have significant um, brain damage. Um, There's even been kids that progress to brain death from just how much brain swelling they get from not getting their uh, diabetic ketoacidosis. And is
0: that just a matter of just waiting too long to come in? Some of it,
1: yes. Um, Some of it, it just... Uh, unfortunately, some kids just don't respond as quickly, or um, genetic predisposition, or whatever the case may be, progress faster than others. Even if the family did everything that they could, there's just you know, unfortunately, a small mortality rate so, associated with DKA.
0: So, really, the takeaway from this podcast would be management, right? I mean, obviously, being a diabetic—that's that's that's your that's your life right now until something better comes along it's all about management correct uh, so I'm assuming you you can't stress that enough
1: it's all about management it's all about even uh, as your teenagers get old enough that you think that they're old enough to manage their own insulin and their own regimen turns out that's about the time that they don't want to because mm. no one else is doing it and it's not cool anymore and you need to be on them more right um, there's um, some girls all across the country that actually keep themselves in a mild, diabetic ketoacidosis to help uh, manage their weight and to help with body image and stuff. Um, and so um, just like with everything else, it's making sure kids have adequate uh, mental health, um, that you're checking up on that, especially with a chronic yeah. disease, that they're managing their, their diabetes appropriately.
0: So this this keto in the term is obviously the diet keto that people talk about as well, right? It's the same uh, process. Right. You're essentially, uh, well, it's a the ketogenic diet. Yeah, there we go. Yes. That's when you're it. Yep. on the ketogenic diet,
1: your goal is to actually throw yourself into ketosis. And that's so not that healthy, is it? Ke- I mean, in my mind, no. Okay. Um, obviously, the, some right. people somewhere have thought that this ketogenic diet is good. Sure. Um, and it helps you manage your weight loss and stuff. Um, I'm a big proponent of actually just. Um, not labeling food and good or bad. Mm-hmm. And just if you need to lose weight, it's all about calorie deficit and it's all about exercise and right. moving and making sure that you're eating a balanced diet, eating uh, low calorically dense food versus high calorically dense food. And there's a lot of techniques for weight loss that we can talk about that's way healthier sure. and produces actually life changes uh, more than uh, these fad diets. And right.
0: Stuff. And as a diabetic, you would never want this at all. No, yeah, no. even
1: though obviously with the ketogenic diet, you're avoiding carbs, and mm-hmm. so a lot of people are like, "Oh, I, um, I have diabetes, so I need to limit my glucose, and so I can't have carbs," which. It's true. You should manage how much sugar you have sure. and how many carbs you have, and those kinds of things. But that's also why you take insulin, is to be able to utilize that. Um, but totally avoiding carbs isn't, uh, especially good carbs, isn't right. the right answer either.
0: Do you uh, do you see a path out of this someday, doctor? Do you? I mean, obviously, we have medical advances that that happen sometimes. You know, faster than I think even you're ready for in some instances. Do you see a time when when we might get through a lot of this management of diabetes and it might come down to just, I don't know, a bunch of different things. I, I do see a time when they're doing
1: more like pancreatic transplants yeah. um, where you're, you can transplant a pancreas and have it work. But the alternative to that is then you're having to take medicines to help prevent rejection mm-hmm. of that organ because it's not your organ and it's not the organ you were designed to have and right. everything else. And so currently anything that we have to, um, make it so you don't have to take insulin. You're substituting, taking another long-term chronic med and increasing risk and everything else. And so, um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if, um, there's ways of, um, of not transplanting organs, but just giving a, a large capsule of, insulin that you're not having to do shots or so I I wouldn't be surprised if there's a better fix in the years to come. Um, They are realizing that they can use some um, different medicines that actually um, are designed um, with like type two diabetes to just increase insulin production. Uh, Because these kids that are just diagnosed with diabetes, they have what we call a honeymoon phase. So their pancreas is still working to some extent, not as much as we would like for it to. But they're realizing that if they give these uh, type 2 drugs to kind of increase the insulin production, that we can kick that honeymoon phase up a little bit and kind of keep you off of insulin for at least another year or two. Um, And so there are some um, new things coming out with that. But I think we're a ways away from actually not having to use insulin on a regular basis.
0: Well, Dr. Kyle Lemley, a pediatric critical care specialist and pediatrician at Monument Health Rapid City Hospital, thank you for coming in and talking about this. Uh, this has been uh, super interesting. And, and for people, of course, that manage this disease, you know, I think the more information they have, especially when you have it with kids, uh, it just can't be talked about enough. I, I'm assuming you would absolutely agree. I do. <laughs> and thanks for having me on. Yeah. Thank you very much, doctor. Talk talk with Monument Health is recorded live at Homeslice Studios, hosted by Mark Houston, edited by Russ Hatton, engineered by Chris Jaquis, and produced by Kelsey Kinney and Rob Henry.